Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, The Changing of the Guard edition. It's Friday, May 29th, and my name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm the Journal's assignment editor, and I am here in the newsroom studio with three of my most trusty Alberta politics companions. I've got Graham Thompson, our political columnist. Good morning, Graham. Good morning, and congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank Sarah. you. Thank you very you much. You weren't here last because you won an NNA. I did. A national newspaper award. Uh, thank like you. Like the Pulitzer Prize of Canada, as the <laughs> country's very best editorial writer, let us just say. Thank you. I'm, I'm flushing. Because yes. I've seen the script, she doesn't say that. No, well, of course <laughs> not. <laughs> no, it says right here. It says, yeah. congratulations, Sarah. <laughs> I'm joking. It we're we're ad-libbing now. <laughs> And you have already heard the voice of city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, award-winning national champion editorial writer. Thank you very much, Paula. Good morning. And Karen Cleese, provincial affairs reporter. Good morning to the best editorial writer in the entire country. <laughs> Thank you. At least, you know, for that brief shining moment. Now, <laughs> on to other things. Um, so a- as after being away for last week's podcast, I feel like I have so much to catch up on. And I'd like to ca- thank Keith Durian for his fine work stepping in as host and producer in my absence. Today, we want to talk about all the swearing-in ceremonies, past and future, Premier Rachel Notley's first moves with her newly selected cabinet, and how the opposition are responding to these early days. So in my absence, on a very short trip to Toronto, Albertans saw at least part of their new government get sworn in last Sunday. And I know that ceremony was a few days ago now, but it really sounded like something special. So I'd love to hear from from the three of you what stands out about that swearing-in ceremony. I think when I arrived, seeing the food trucks outside, <laughs> it was it's <laughs> true. It was, I went, what, what the heck? Um, <laughs> and it, it wasn't w- just because you were hungry. <laughs> well, I was hungry, but it was um, the food trucks, and you had great weather. People dressed in shorts and t-shirts. People very relaxed. It was a lot like also on stage, or the front steps, of the legislature. I'm calling it a stage. Was a folk band, Hundred Mile playing. House, and uh, they were great. And it was like the folk fest. Really, the, the feeling to it was this very informal celebration. It was an absolute carnival-like atmosphere. There were people not just in orange t-shirts, but orange hijabs and orange turbans and orange bathing suits and some kids who'd been outfitted with orange water pistols. Uh, (laughs) I ended up watching, I climbed inside the fountain so as to have a better view of things, but also to not have heat stroke. Um, (laughs) And it was a really funny atmosphere because there were lots of people who'd brought their kids and were trying to explain it to their kids. And, And the family beside me, the little one who was about eight or nine, was very excited. I want to take a picture of Rachel. I want to take a picture of Rachel as, as they all came out on the steps. And the older one who looked about 13 said, can we go home now? <laughs> and her parents said, you'll never see anything like this ever again. And she said, yeah, I can just watch it tonight on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, I, I, didn't, I wasn't working that day, but I went just to see because I have this gene that makes me, forces me to see things. Yes, the first I would have been there too if right, I'd been in town. I couldn't help myself. I had to go. And, uh, and so I was really, in addition to what Grandma Paula have said, I was really... Uh, shocked at how engaged the crowd was when the cabinet was picked uh people clearly knew who all the characters were uh, there were gasps <laughs> for example when joe cc was named finance minister oh, really? uh, people around me were saying well i've lost the pool and you know there were people who were really engaged and i was really surprised by the degree to which folks in the crowd who I mean, except the 13 year old previously mentioned yes. <laughs> <laughs> well you know yes. kids aside yeah. i was really uh, surprised at how engaged the crowd was in the politics in addition to the food trucks and the free ice cream and the jovial atmosphere with the music and stuff so i know last week you guys did because i listened and you did do plenty of speculating about about 
the cabinet and who would be in it. What do you think of her choices for the different portfolios and how she chose to structure the posts? Maybe, Karen, you could just give us a quick rundown of, of who got put into the various positions. So very quickly, and I think a lot of our listeners will know this already, Brian Mason is in infrastructure and transportation, which got some laughs from the crowd because he's a former bus driver. <laughs> uh, David Egan in education, culture, tourism. Sarah Hoffman, former uh, at EP Edmonton Public School Board chair is the health and seniors minister huge portfolio Darren Billis uh, one of the returning MLAs uh, is the municipal affairs minister and service Alberta also two huge portfolios big surprise Marg McQuaig Boyd uh, in energy she is a Notley family friend from Dunvegan Central Peace Notley which is where Rachel was raised um, Shannon Phillips not too terribly surprising that she got a big portfolio she's there uh, Lethbridge West uh, MLA uh, she's an environment parks and status of women which is a new portfolio interestingly Joe CC as I mentioned uh, Treasury Board and Finance Kathleen Ganley in justice and Aboriginal affairs Irfan Sabir, surprising, a new name on the cabinet table from Calgary in human services, enormous sprawling portfolio with huge challenges. Laurie Sigurdsson, the former uh, communications for the Alberta Social Workers Council, uh, is in innovation, advanced education, job skills, training and labor, and uh, O'Neill Carlier um, in agriculture and forestry. So that's it's a very small cabinet, 12 people. I think he was the only one I called right. If, it, if, if, if I'd been in a pool, that was the only one I would have guessed Me right. Me too. Mm. So what, Graham Paula, what did you think about her choices? Well, it's interesting. I think that um, one thing I should point out here, they're not merging these ministries. For example, Brian Mason isn't transportation and inf- infrastructure. It's Minister of Transportation and Minister of Infrastructure because the two departments are still two departments. And he's going to have a deputy minister for each reporting to him. Uh, what's going to happen later on, I think, as they get to know the rest of the caucus and how good they are, later this year, they're going to expand the size of the cabinet. So it's 12 right now. It will be expanding, I was told. Uh, but anyway, as for people in there, I think that, um, yeah, they had rel- the good people there, but relatively few who were actually qualified, perhaps, to be experienced enough to be in cabinet, which is why it's relatively small right now. But um, I think the people we've got with the incumbents, I was surprised that Mason wasn't, we were thinking finance, for example. Yeah, I was, yeah. Right? Uh, we're surprised at the Minister of, of Energy. Uh, why not somebody from Calgary? And I think we're surprised that some of the, the choices, maybe it, it makes sense, of course, for example, not to have Sarah Hoffman as education minister because she was too close to the mini- that, that, that department, in a sense, because she was the chair of the Edmonton Public School Board. She was in health. Uh, likewise, Egan, who was the Friends of Medicare uh, spokesperson, um, that lobby group, he's not in health, he's in education, which makes sense as well. So I think overall, it's, it's a pretty good cabinet. I think we'll just see how they actually perform. Yeah, I think, you know, you asked earlier, Sarah, about the matching of the of the portfolios. I think she did a pretty good job with that. They sort of, the portfolios that they have paired up seem to be in sync. I'm not surprised at the faces. I was surprised at the assignments. When they announced that uh, that Mason was going to be infrastructure and transportation, I sort of gasped because I thought he would be energy or finance. But I think she may need him because he's also going to be house leader to be behind the scenes banging heads together. And I think she needed to make Joe Cece, uh, who is her Calgary lieutenant, he needed a big portfolio. And the argument is that he was on Calgary City Council for years. He's handled budgets. And some of these appointments, I think, are quite astute. I mean, Sarah Hoffman, some people were saying, well, she's got no background in health, but she chaired a large 
an, a, a, lo a whole other level of government. She has experience with budget. She has experience negotiating with public sector unions. And she has lots of experience giving press interviews, uh, which very few of these other people do. I guess and, she's, and she's incredibly talented. Well, she's incredible. Right. I mean, but, but, anybody but, but, who knows, yeah. a lot lots, of these yeah. people, a lot of us yeah. know them in the, in the, the press gallery and in, in the news business. We know these faces. And a lot of them are incredibly competent people too so yes. have we heard much from the cabinet ministers themselves or what do you think of what we have heard so far at first it seemed like other than we're so happy to be have the opportunities there wasn't a lot of well i did feel comment. sorry for anil carlier who had to be the first one out the gate to give a press <laughs> conference on you know on a giant wildfire emergency uh so you know they they had to hit the ground running but they have been relatively quiet i think david Egan has given an interview to our education reporter andrea sands other than that, you know, Brian Mason was joking that it's much harder for him now because there are all kinds of things he can't say. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's mostly been Notley who's been out in front and who's had a very busy week putting the official face on the government. She hasn't let too many of them out of the paddock. We haven't gotten any comment from any minister in the cabinet, uh, in the press gallery. They're not calling reporters back at all at this point. They're, they're being very quiet. They're learning the ropes because they're <laughs> a steep learning curve and that's another cliche. Yes. Um, they've got a lot to learn. They've got big departments now. Like They're taking over, there's 12 of them taking over what was 20 people under um, Prentice and some of them are brand new of course to politics and, this, and the provincial uh, building and they're learning things and like they're being told or they're voluntarily saying we're not telling you anything right now. Even the interview that uh, Egan gave to um, Andrea, I thought, didn't say a lot. It's more or less, like, stay, stay tuned. Yeah, and our colleague Keith Drine is going to be, I think, speaking to Sarah Hoffman this morning. At least that's on the books right now. And uh, we're expecting much the same thing. They're pretty focused on a few specific topics, and we'll see. I think slowly, I guess, we'll start to see them speak I, I gotta more. I'm going to say I feel a bit sorry for Sarah. Not, she's a smart, very smart person, very capable. We've said that. The Ministry of Health is like the... Oh, the, the it's, it's it is the tar pits, the La Brea tar pits of It Alberta is the, the graveyard. There's an entire graveyard of political careers <laughs> out there with the Ministry of Health over their tombstones. You yeah. go through anybody in the last 20, 30 years, where have they gone after they've done health? And they tend to go nowhere. Yeah. Um, uh, the one I can think of right now who's actually moving on would be um, Ron Leiper. But it took him a good five years or six he years to, to recover. Yeah, he had to, <laughs> yeah. to leave provincial politics yeah. to go to federal politics. I guess yeah. Hancock eventually, you know, served as, you know, premier, interim premier. Interim premier. Jeans was Dusky was uh, speaker. speaker. Yeah. But they don't go on to become, you know, uh, a premier. Right. Or they don't, they, their, their careers at best stall. Yes. Well, well, we'll see how she handles it. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm not it will be very her. interesting. It's just department. Yeah, and her team it will it will depend a lot on the team that she assembles yeah. and and whether those people are able to. You know. I can just picture putting myself in her shoes and being like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. She, I think she had her 35th birthday the day before she was uh, sworn in as health minister. Well, you know, so. and the roar in the crowd that went up when she was named as health minister, it was really interesting. It was like she was a rock star. She had her <sighs> own constituency of supporters in that crowd. And the whoop that went up from the fountain yeah. was, was really something to She's see. She's always gotten huge I, votes in Edmonton, right? I mean, huge, even right? running for school board, she got the most votes of anybody in any election, I think. So she's very, she is very, very popular. On the announcement that it's have actually been made in Calgary yesterday, Thursday, Rachel Notley did make some announcements at education. There was an education announcement. Well, the, the education announcement was really an important one because the school boards, of course, were hanging fire to find out what their budgets were going to be. Uh, what Notley announced 
it sounds like $103 million in new money. It isn't actually. What it will do is allow the school boards to stay where they were last September. They've rolled back the cuts that Prentice had made to things like supports for Aboriginal students and supports for special needs kids. And they have promised the boards that they will have the funding to cover all the new students, the expected 12,000 new students who are going to be enrolling in our public and Catholic schools and, and our private schools in the fall. So that's a huge announcement for school boards. But we should remember that what that does is maintain the status quo. Uh, it, it allows them to sort of tread water in the same place. So big announcement, big amount of money, but uh, it's, a, it's sort of a stopgap until they get a full budget out. The government also announced that they were going to not close the Calgary Young Offender Center as planned under uh, the the Progressive Conservatives, they had planned to close that facility in Calgary and move all of the young offenders basically to a central facility here in Edmonton. And that, I think, got a lot of play in Calgary, didn't get as much attention up here. But why, why would they have done that? Well, I think it was hugely controversial because it took vulnerable kids, not just from Calgary, but from all of southern Alberta, and moved them to one center. There had been huge complaints about the fact that kids who needed support from their families and from their social support networks were going to be ripped away from them. Very difficult for families, especially if you're from Lethbridge or Medicine Hat, to make that trip. And, you know, it was it was going to save them a pittance, I think $3 million a year, which is really very little. It is true that the Calgary Young Offenders Centre wasn't exactly full to the gunnels, you know, so on paper it made sense to, to bring people all together. But if the premise of that place is to rehabilitate young people and help them get away from a life of crime. Putting all the criminals in one concentrated Costco of young criminality was probably not good public policy. I think it's important to talk about though the things those were obviously official announcements that she was making at those two press conferences but I think it's really important to point out uh, what's been going on between the oil industry and Rachel Notley over the past couple of days. She made some really interesting comments about the oil industry at her press conferences. Notably, she said this is not just an economic debate, this is a political debate. And I think that that was a, a shot over the bow uh, to the to the oil industry saying uh, it, and that she is looking out for the interests of Albertans in terms of making sure that Albertans are getting uh, a just return on their, their royalty uh, for their resources. Of course, we know that CNRL also uh, fired mm-hmm. a shot over the bow this week. Oh, yes, uh, setting, big one. You know, setting back uh, the date or, or canceling a, an investor, a planned investor meeting that was going to lay out what their plans were. Um, so those were not formal announcements, but we can see brewing at this point already uh, a major battle between the Notley government and the and the, the oil and gas industry. And, uh, and she's made it very clear that this is going to be political, which, of course, everybody knows, but it was fascinating to hear her say that because you never in a million years would have heard a Tory energy minister say that and she was basically saying um, the, uh, the the game has changed boys so you know uh, you know you're gonna have to play your hand differently with mm. a new government at the helm so what did you think of how she was speaking Graham I know you noted her comment about Alberta's finances not being as fulsome, fulsome yeah. as uh, <laughs> there's a word in there somewhere yeah. that she was thinking of <laughs> what does that mean well in one way it's um, transition to power 101 when you be- when you take over power you go oh the books are terrible, a lot worse shape than we thought, so we can't fulfill all the promises we made during the campaign. So in the one sense, it's a cliche. On the other hand, you got to feel great sympathy because this government's been in power for 44 years, so, you know, one PC government after another for 44 years. So um, they're the first people to get a peek behind the scenes, behind the curtain, to see what's actually happening uh, there. 
for the first time in 44 years. It's a bit see. like when you, you know, rent an apartment and you move the fridge and find out that nobody's cleaned behind the fridge in 44, <laughs> 44 years. years. <laughs> yeah, but so that's an interesting analogy. So, um, so we've got um, Brian Mason talking about skeletons are starting to pop up. He wouldn't say anything more. No. I think Mason is learning you can't be flippant when you're an actual minister as opposed to when you're opposition, when you can attack. He has to now, um, well, he has to explain that, and we'll see what's actually going to happen in the days to come, weeks to come. It's issues like what skeletons is he talking about? Um, if things aren't as fulsome, what does that actually mean? And, of course, we, the media's been pushing notly on that, and we're getting very vague responses. Right. And will there be a full-scale audit? That has recently popped up as something that might happen. Yes, I mean, yeah. I saw people on Twitter last night suggesting that they should just put all the books online, sort of like WikiLeaks, and crowdsource the audit. So let let thousands of Albertans crawl through the numbers. But it's interesting because it's, it, it creates an interesting conundrum for the Wild Rose opposition, because when she comes out and says, oh, the books are really bad, I mean, what do they say? That, you know, Derek Fildebrandt, their finance critic, was reduced to saying, well, we all knew they were going to be bad. You know, I, I bet they're even, you know, did you think that they wouldn't be bad? You know, the, the, so the, both parties are kind of attacking the the previous administration. You what know? do you get about a year of that? A year of attacking the previous administration? Or how long can you how long can I, you do that for? I don't think that the Wild Rose strategists are going to give them a whole year. No. <laughs> I no, think they might get six months or maybe, something. Maybe, maybe. I think yeah. until the, the, the budget comes down in yeah. the fall and then they'll be all over them. Another issue, of course, is the shredding right. uh, issue. And uh, Notley was asked about that yesterday. There's an investigation going on right now with the privacy commissioner looking into the uh, the allegations of improper shredding of documents. And she made it, you know, a point that, look, some of the shredding is legitimate. It's not all illegal. You can still shred things. Right. In some cases, it would be illegal not, not to, to shred something. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yes. So welcome to government. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. And so there's another group of uh, MLAs getting their full introduction to government on Monday. Just a quick uh, quick summary of what that is, please. They're, they're, they're swearing in the other MLAs who, who didn't make cabinet. And well, the actually, MLAs. they're swearing in all the MLAs. Which includes, I imagine, the cabinet ministers would be sworn in as MLAs too, wouldn't they? No. That is a very good question, Graham. I will deduce that. Miriam would know the answer to that because question. Because a minister doesn't have to be an MLA to that's be a right. minister. Oh, right. oh yes. That's what, we did that What before. actually happened last Sunday, actually, that was the government being sworn in, technically speaking. Oh. Cabinet is the government. Okay. Okay. And what happens on Monday is the MLAs are sworn in. And I Aww. think this time Donald Ethel will do the swearing in. He wasn't well enough to attend the mm. hot weather outdoor event. Um, and I have to say, Catherine Fraser, the uh, Chief Justice of the Alberta uh, Court of Appeal, did a beautiful job. She certainly was in. Uh, in tune with the mood of the mm -hmm. place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she. Yeah, I mean, she was very, you know, very passionate, articulate, and talked warmly about Rachel Notley's parents. It was, it was an unusually personal speech. I thought for the person, you know, doing the swearing in this. Oh, I, don't, I have to watch it all on video now because it makes me want to wish I had <laughs> seen it. It's on YouTube. You would have seen it. <laughs> Awesome. To say they are swearing <laughs> in all the MLAs on Monday. So uh, interestingly, they have uh, opened up the floor to media, which has never been done before. Oh. Uh, it's going to be a basically an all-day event because they each go up individually. They're swearing in the, the, the caucuses. Uh, and then I think as, as it stands right now, and this has caused a bit of a stir at the ledge, uh, mostly because there's not a lot of other news to talk about, but uh, David Swan and uh, and Deborah Drever, who's an independent now, and... Um, Who's the third? Greg Clark, Greg Clark, Clark yeah. will be sworn in separately in private in the LG's offices, uh, which uh, has caused a bit of a stir. But we'll see whether that. Yeah, maybe that'll. I don't, I don't think. I don't think it was meant to be private in the sense of secret. It's just that there's, you know, there's not enough room in the LG's office for 
for a bunch of people mm-hmm. plus three MLAs, but it is. But still then why weird. not do it in the house? It, it was I, very strange. I, I didn't yeah. understand and that either. I, I missed some of this. Do we have a speaker yet? No, no. we don't have a speaker <laughs> until the ML. <laughs> until <laughs> the, <laughs> until <laughs> the ML. <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time to go into this. I'm afraid. Okay. Well, so no speaker yet. Has there will be one elected when the house goes in. Who do you think that might be? Uh, I'm, I'm, I have no idea. Um, this was June the 11th and they go back, they're going to go back that day just to elect the speaker. Um, okay. And then of course there'll be um, some things happening the days after that. But um, right now Gene Swazdeski is still the speaker. Um, and then there'll be a new person brought in. A bit of a controversy about this a few days ago <laughs> because on Sunday when Notley was appointing and uh, naming her cabinet ministers, there was a meeting after that where um, she endorsed Bob Warner, who's the MLA, NDP MLA from Medicine Hat. He went out and began tweeting about this, saying, and "I'm giving th- interviews." It was not smart. He did, a, he did an interview to his hometown paper, Medicine Hat News, saying, "I look forward to being speaker. I look forward to working with other parties. Um, as speaker, I still have a lot of uh, access to the premier and the ministers." And of course, he's not. No, that the position is chosen, elected by a secret ballot of all members of the assembly. Ah. Oh, and is this why I saw the PCs issuing a news release about NDP accusing them of undemocratic behavior? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Which I, I was <laughs> like, really? I, I you know. know. Like the, the the press releases out of the PC caucus have been really something to see. Uh, it's been it's going to be tough for them to turn yes. it around when they get into the house because everything that they say causes gales of laughter in the press gallery because, because it's how can they accuse so the NDP of being undemocratic <laughs> 44 years I've yeah. seen them stomp all, all over the democracy aspect of the legislature and often in exactly the same way, way that the I NDP know. is doing it it's hysterical it's, it is it's like you, you can't take them seriously yeah. I thought it was actually satire when I first saw that news release <laughs> PCs question, you know, the the NDP. You thought, it was, the, you thought it was like the Onion. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I did too. I mean, I we were thought, joking about how it. How can yeah. they possibly accuse the NDP of abusing the traditions and privileges of the House when they, back in February, <laughs> without belaboring this, um, and here I am belaboring it. Jim Prentice, <laughs> of course, did that very famous, infamous order, basically publicly. Uh, he wants an all-party committee to reverse itself on the budget of the Auditor General. He has no business doing that, but that's yeah. an example. It's from a few months ago yes. of the PCs doing just, in a sense, what they're accusing the NDP of doing. Well, right. and particularly yeah. since they fell due to transparency. I mean, I think we all hope there's a higher standard, though, right? Yes, like and, we, and we, would, we would like the NDP to meet it, and there's no doubt that Warner spoke out of school. I don't think there's anything wrong, personally, with the party endorsing a candidate. Uh, some people would disagree. Some people think it should be a totally free vote, and they point that you know Ken Kowalski was elected, and he certainly wasn't the choice of, Brian, of, uh, of Ralph, Ralph Klein, Klein at the time. Oh. No. But... but Technically, I don't think there's anything really wrong with them endorsing. What was wrong was for Bob Warner to go out and give interviews. Let me respond to all of these fine comments by saying that it is time to move to good stuff from the gallery. That's our weekly segment where we recommend something that we've enjoyed reading, watching, or listening to, usually, though not always, with a political connection. Does anyone want to start us off? I'll start quickly. Hopefully, this is actually online on our webpage, Edmonton Journal. Go there and see your award-winning editorials. Your uh, NNA yes, award-winning you, you editorial. I, I believe they are up there. Yeah, We've, I believe, we've no, linked to them. This, this is a, it's a great 
um, thing you've accomplished. Thank you. And, and you know what? And, and they're still really timely. I mean, one is about Omar Khadr being allowed to speak to the media, which, of course, he was finally allowed to do this week. Uh, one is about the fact that the Alberta legislature has more floor crossings than a Pinocchio square dance. Yes, I think we called for an early election because we, we felt <laughs> that the legislature no longer represented the will of the people in 2012. And, <laughs> and Jim Prentice listened yes, to you. He did. <laughs> what <laughs> happened and to him? Lo and behold, lo and behold the legislature did. did not represent the will of the people. Right, and, and Sarah also called to reopen the front doors of the legislature and return the legislature to the people and I would dare say that on Sunday Rachel Notley triumphantly The doors did that. were open now I hope that they permanently stay no, open no, well see won't. that's the thing they have to yes. get the security, security yeah. upgraded to the front door so that that building can be enjoyed how it is supposed to be and yes. not not through the back door cuz that's just not how our legislature how the media should work. Rise every day. Yeah, well, the media is different <laughs> than exactly. regular Through the people. service entrance. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> well, thank you. Anyway, basement, so so that's my good read is to actually seriously con- congratulations again. Thank you. On I, that, and it's online. I appreciate that. Um, I'm going to recommend another uh, piece of NNA nominated work that was not mine. Um, I'm going to recommend if you did not get a chance to read the pieces, the series, it was a five part series done by Jessica Barrett for the Calgary Herald um, through the Michelle Lang uh, scholarship. She did a really interesting series about the changes taking place in the workplace and the death of lifelong jobs. And I thought that from the perspective of, of for young people coming in, even how in 20 years the world of work has changed. Um, her series is really worth reading and there's a lot of interesting policy implications in it as well. So it was a fine piece and it absolutely deserved to be nominated in the project of the year category. So I'm going to throw up the links to that again in case anybody missed it. Graham reminded me when he was talking about your editorial about Cotter that Michelle Shepard from the Toronto Star, she's their national security reporter, did an exclusive interview with uh, Cotter at his home with Dennis Edney and his wife. Uh, it is uh, fascinating to hear from Cotter uh, one-on-one. She spent a couple days with them and really does an incredible job of, of tell- showing us who he is uh, and what he's like. And uh, I devoured it. It was one of those pieces that I, I really, really couldn't put down. So I uh, highly recommend a Toronto Star reporter. Nas- or she's the national security reporter, Michelle Shepard, uh, on Omar Cotter. Fantastic. And I will bring you home, Miss Sarah O'Donnell, with a piece from a website called artpractical.com. It's written by Aruna D'Souza, who is an Edmonton expat, U of A grad, former member of the U of A student union, uh, now writes for the Wall Street Journal. And it's a piece called Dying of Exposure, and it's about the politics of... Uh, the humanities and the arts where people are routinely asked whether they're musicians or artists or writers or academics to work for free for the exposure and so Mm. it's a very sort of interesting political analysis about what happens to the labor economy when a whole sector of people are told that their work has no value and that they should give it away just for the exposure it's very fun piece called dying of exposure uh, artpractical.com sounds good and it's a good companion to uh, Jessica's series on work so thank you That is where we will end this week. I'd like to thank Graham and Paula and Karen for joining me today, as they have almost every week since we started this podcast in September 2013, and to videographer Ryan Jackson, who is here with us capturing segments of our conversation that will be available on edmontonjournal.com, usually before I even get the darn podcast edited and posted. Some of our listeners may have heard the news that as of next week, I will be moving into the job of sports editor at the Journal. So like a newly minted cabinet minister, I am going to be having to dedicate my time to learning that portfolio. Oh. 
where no, I, I know Sarah will give 110%. I will. Here. I've totally got my game face on. But do not fear. Um, I will be passing the press gallery's hosting torch on to my fantastic newsroom colleagues. We'll start next week's show with an update on those plans. But I just wanted to take a moment to thank all of the press gallery's listeners, whether you've tuned in from the beginning or just recently discovered the show, for your support over what is 89 episodes so far. Thank you, everybody. It's, it's really been a treat. You can find all those archived episodes of the podcast on edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or through the journal SoundCloud feed. The show is also available on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. So subscribe and the press gallery will be there waiting for you by Saturday morning, as long as we click all the right buttons. The journal's political team will be back with you next week in the press gallery.